to the train of ambivalence with me Zay and me Amwick I'm super excited to be back again another week literally a week later as well we're like we're like nailing this we're getting more consistent and some would argue better at this I think maybe well okay right. we're consistent yes yeah <laughs> we're more yeah, official because yeah. we actually have a theme song now like uh, you guys, we have a theme song. It's it's like we requested it last week on last week's episode, and then it just turns up the next day on our doorstep. Somebody left a, a recording by my door and was like, for the podcast, and it was just there. Uh, I mean, like, super creepy if someone knows where you live from the podcast, but, like, that aside, like, you dropped this on me while I was at work, and I gave it a listen. I was like, damn, this is cool. Listen <laughs> to it again. I was like, that, this is really fucking amazing. And, like, whoever whoever's made this, like, oh, my God, I absolutely love it, and, like, props to them. They probably, it sounds great. It's catchy. It's in my head. They probably God damn it. Address, Perfect. Because I, I attach it in the description of each of our podcasts just so people know where they need to send fan mail. But I've been getting a lot of like a lot of a lot of prank calls and people <laughs> deliveries. <laughs> but man, like I absolutely I absolutely love it. I, like I said, I have no idea where this has come from, but god damn it's good. So on a very serious note, um, thank you so much to to my good friend and and uh, fan of the show, even though he's never actually listened to an episode, but he's a fan by proxy by agreeing to do a theme song for us. But thank you so much to uh, our boy Thomas Hancock, comedy, um, my my comedian friend, who who was kind enough to go ahead and just have fun with it it seems he really had fun with this theme song and you can really tell um oh, i honestly yeah, can't think i can't think of anything that better encapsulates us than like you know saying um just another pop culture show on the radio actually it's a podcast because <laughs> we, we do we do we do correct ourselves a lot like mid-sentence yeah, we, do. we really do <laughs> but yeah uh, props to tom he did an amazing work on this it's perfect and i'm in love with it 100 percent Exactly, and and I can't wait to see what else he comes up with because now he's contractually obliged to to do the rest of our themes. Um, I, I don't know if he knows this, but when I asked him to do that, I secretly snuck it into the small print. So uh, that's what I do with a lot of my contracts. I sneak I sneak a lot into the small prints. People agree. Oh, man, to yeah, it. it's it's perfect. I love it. I have so much love for it. it I couldn't ask for a better uh, theme, to be honest. I really couldn't. Yeah, way better than we deserve. As we said last week, we would we would be we would be happy with like a a garage band demo from from Apple Max. So I'm happy enough. I mean, like we're using stock music this entire time. So we actually, I feel like we have an official. We we are like officially born as a podcast, in my opinion. I mean, you could say like, yes, it's not Neil Diamond, but it's very much the next best thing. I specifically asked him. I said, "How good is your Neil Diamond impression?" <laughs> And he's like, I was like, I didn't give him any context as to why. I just said, like, out of the blue, I said, how good is your Neil Diamond impression? And he was just like, 
probably not very good. Why are you asking? And then I text him back maybe five hours later, giving him context. <laughs> Cause I like, I like that to be the, um, the general kind of relationship I have with people where I say really off the cuff, strange things, then don't provide context to them. And that, you know, that sums me up as a person. <laughs> oh man, it's fantastic. I love it. I mean, if anything, I feel like Neil Diamond's probably very jealous right now, wherever he is. He's just like, why didn't I think of that? The way he word plays on the word station, he's like coming to a station near you because it's like, you know, like a radio station, but also like a train station. How clever is it's, that? It's perfect. Like so many levels, it works. Like media kids are, like, are going to be like analyzing this like perfected tune for like years to come. I can see it. And to anybody who's curious, um, you should really check out Thomas's other other songs with his band. He never told me the name of his band, but um, if, from what I understood, it's just Thomas Hancock Comedy. If you search him on YouTube, they have a song from a, a couple of years ago called Try Not to Die Before Christmas. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, and it's probably, it is probably my favorite Christmas song. And that's not saying too much because I don't generally like Christmas songs, but I put it right up there with like uh, Last Christmas by Wham. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, yeah, you, if 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 he's done, if he's like constructed this masterpiece for us, anything else he's got to do, he's got to have like the Midas touch and just everything is just gold. Because like the the context behind that song is he works in a morgue, and <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the royal. So he, he's basically just sending out people to a message to get him less work over time. He's saying, you know, guys, try not to die before Christmas. But yeah, check him out. Seriously, check him out. He's follow, you know, we're following him on Twitter. So if you get the opportunity, check him out on Twitter um, and also check out his YouTube channel. He does some really great stuff and he's a talented musician, but also a great comedian. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. We, I caught him at your, one of your um, your um, your gigs you did a few, a few months ago. And yeah, you amazing set. Yeah, say. definitely. So how about that news? So in the news, <laughs> would you like to take the lead? Big gulp and I just like I caught you mid gulp, didn't I? On that drink. <laughs> yeah, I was, I'm just I'm polishing off my coffee. Okay, last sip. Okay, right. So where should we start? So um, <clears throat> I think I think we should start with the big one first. So the Resident Evil Eight demo came out. Well, demo the Resident Evil Eight reveal presentation thing that Capcom usually do for like the big mm-hmm. big franchises came out last night and there was like a a good two hour long video on youtube with the presentation and what it turned out to be was an hour and 50 minutes of waiting of them just counting down and then a 10 minute trailer with a little bit of a breakdown so i thought you know we're, we're resident evil fans i thought it'd be a good place to start so resident evil 8 it's actually happening it's called the village it's going to be another first person game in the similar vein to resident evil mm-hmm. 7 it's got the same main character ethan waters and you're mm-hmm. playing the whole game in first person and from what it looks like it's a direct sequel in terms of story and it picks up basically where that game leaves leaves off um mm-hmm. All I can think of after playing seven and seeing the trail of eight, all I can think of is, man, this fucking family can't catch a break. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, it was a story. It, of it, seven. It, it looks so so dark. I I like I love the trailer. It looks so exciting. Gotta say, like, do feel bad for him, but it's gonna be so fun to play. So uh, I'd like like let's let's do a little bit of a mini breakdown. So um, the antagonists, uh, the vampires, huh? <laughs> It looks like it, and god damn, are they terrifying. They went the lady with the big vampire. Yeah. Yeah, the, the lady with the big hat. I mean, like, I do love the kind of, like, the England, like, old, creepy, like, 
uh, manor house vibes. Super perfect. But god damn, that family is so terrifying. There is that one, that you know the one who comes up and like she stabs him in the trailer. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm generally quite a fan of like vampire looks, but when I was looking at it, I was like, I'm genuine. I'm pretty much filled with dread. Oh yeah, I mean like when the trailer kicks up and you just hear that god awful voice speaking, that like immediately sends chills just down my spine. <laughs> and it's, that's it's like that's wow. Like, like that is quite literally the point. It's like they're trying to scare us, and it's it's almost like um, Resident Evil are overcorrecting. The people in terms of in in charge of the franchise are overcorrecting for like the three or four games which weren't scary by making <laughs> the ones as scary as fucking possible. Because these are way scarier than the originals. Oh, way definitely. scarier definitely. than the PS One games. Way scarier than like uh, any of the zombie games. Man, like these these are full on horror games now. Yeah, definitely. Like you can see like the dread and the the terror in every single shot it's it's perfect it's it's what you want from resident evil game isn't it it really is and one of my favorite parts about the gameplay breakdown is that they go into detail of like uh, ethan they're like oh he can uh, he can block things which is really funny mm-hmm. because people are coming out with you have knives and ethan's just like putting his hands up to block and he's like you yeah. don't take any damage by blocking i'm like yeah yeah i mean it's only his hands like he's probably still gonna get hurt just a little bit mm. Um, but I, I think it's maybe like possibly like with the difficulty aspect, maybe they kind of want to introduce that just to make it more manageable, like perhaps. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's I mean, my kind. Of, yeah, it's a, it's a game aimed at the masses, so it has to be playable mm. by the masses. You can't be too oppressive in the gameplay. But what exactly? What, one thing that I'm quite excited that's making a return is the uh, the merchant mechanic. The merchant's making a comeback. Not the same merchant from Resident Evil Four, our favorite Cockney. Um, but, oh mate, I love it. <laughs> but we have a new merchant, uh, a much much larger in frame merchant who seems to be just as enthusiastic to sell you shit that you need to like. <laughs> no, because honestly, that is my favorite mechanic from Four. Is like without a doubt, yeah, yeah. It's so satisfying going from like the basic shotgun to the striker and like the the basic pistol to the red nine and and upgrading yeah. them all the way to become like a mm-hmm. just mowing down enemies is so much fun and i'm i'm i know we're probably not going to get that same level of like um arcadey fun as we do in those mm. in four obviously because this is more of a survival horror game but i am excited to see what kind of um what kind of fun we can have with that kind of mechanic yeah me too i mean like he's a huge huge fat man <laughs> called the duke he's he's got such a childlike face with such a massive body I love that combination. He looks hilarious, and I know you're gonna have some amazing banter with him as well when he's when you're selling and buying stuff. He's not gonna turn around and go, "Welcome, stranger," but you, hey, man, you never know. He's probably gonna have some crazy, awesome catchphrases. <laughs> I hope. I, I hope he does. I hope he's as much fun as the. Um, I mean, we never got a name for the four merchant, but that guy is so iconic in terms of gaming. Mm-hmm. That's probably yeah. one of the most iconic shopkeepers in all of gaming. Um, yeah, super memorable. We are getting a May release date. So a lot of people were expecting when this was first announced back in, um, well, like November-ish. When, when was the, sorry, not November, September-ish. You know when that second PS5 like reveal trailer came out and it came out mm-hmm. with different things that were coming out at the same time um mm-hmm. we got resident evil 8 announced then and people assumed mm-hmm. it would come out around christmas time uh, after christmas 
but yeah, we're getting it for May, although there is a playable demo out today for the PS5. Um, the interesting thing about it is that the demo isn't actually a demo of the game. It's a visual demo. So from what I understand, that means that the demo doesn't include any of the gameplay mechanics. You don't actually fight things and you don't actually um, shoot mm. things or... Um, it's just it's more of like you're going and taking a demo of the world that they're about to put you into which is you know fair enough i mean they're, they're not just giving you a snippet of the gameplay and saying here you go what do you think of this it's like they've created this own specific like piece of gameplay just for the demo and i find that kind of strange um but i mean that is that is yeah, like you said it is very very strange but i guess in some ways it does create a bit of a buzz and excitement for it I mean, like yeah. you get the visual. Yes, you get the visual aspect and the audio aspect, but it's kind of holding out on you a little bit, and it kind of it's a bit of a tease. Let's put it that way. And I mean, oh my god! Like in terms of visuals, so this is the RE engine. The RE engine was used to make um, the the two remake. I, I think it was made to make seven, and it was made to make the um, the Devil May Cry five. And my god, is it such a beautiful engine? Like the the, the kind of visuals that we are getting now with these games is honestly uh, breathtaking, and I'm genuinely excited to see how the ps5 can bring out the best of that without a doubt without a doubt i mean one thing i'm really looking forward to about this game i mean let's be yes we've got these weird vampire family i'm also also kind of excited to see what level of fox up enemies they come out with also yeah because we saw a few i mean like zombie like creatures in the um in the trailer yeah i'm, I'm excited to see like how far they take it i mean like Res- like put it that way like west evil 4 you had some weird ass fucking enemies El Gigante and Mr. Salazar and yeah, well, was it Mr. Exa- exactly. Mr. Salamander? I can't remember. Salazar, isn't it? Salazar, Salazar, I think it was, yeah. Salazar's the boss guy. Uh, the Chainsaw mm. Man is Mr. Salamander, I think. No, I think the, the little midget guy is uh, Salazar. Salazar. Yes. And um, Sadler is the uh, the priest, uh, head priest guy. No, no, no. There's, um, but there's the Chainsaw Man. He's got a name as well, and I think it's Mr. Salamander. <laughs> that's gonna bother me okay. the chainsaw man definitely has a name because it all I'm, enemies, so, I'm sure he's he's doctor something something like that yes what's his name because that's gonna bother this shit out of me also you kill him like five times in the game is it the same guy i don't know i mean he comes out at you with a certain level of um determination so quite possibly well because uh, there's that one um, box art, right, where it's him and, like, a red background with trees. And that's the nicest box art of Resident Evil, because all the rest just have, like, a yeah. picture of Leon. Um, did, did I mean, you... so looking at his uh, wiki page on the WestEvilFandom.com, yeah. so um, he's uh, simply known as the giant chainsaw man. Huh. Um, his uh, localizations translation, um, the name they gave him was Dr. Salvador. Dr. Salvador. Why was I saying Salamander? Dr. Salvador. I'm in... Close, but um, I, I would love to know what his uh, doctorate in. That'd be so funny. It's like pediology. <laughs> a... Oh, mate, I, I totally forgot about the. Um, there's like uh, female equivalents of him as well. You got the Chainsaw Sisters. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, the Bella Sisters. You've, you've yeah. fight, you know, there's that bit where it branches and you can fight either the yeah, Ada Wong or the two sisters. Yeah. Um, mm. And the El Gigante bit, you can just run through. If you're playing yeah. on hard mode, yeah, it's a better option. But that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen those because they're, they're they're really aggressive as well. They really are. They're, they're a lot faster, also. That's the bit they're where you just say to Ashley, "Go hide in the bin while I go deal with all of this shit, and then I'll come and get you." <laughs> oh goddamn! I, I I love it. 
It would have been great if in that game you had like the bins had um, the same cloud system that the boxes do in the other Resident Evil games. So you put Ashley in one bin, but you can pick her up from any of them. Oh, that would be amazing. I thought you were going to say you wish the bins were like the bins in Dragon Quest, where like the chests in Dragon Quest, where they can sometimes be monsters. <laughs> That'd be so funny if it was a mimic bin. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I was like, okay, I was like, that's a weird way to go, Zane. But okay, yeah, cool. Ashley. Um, so with the uh, deluxe edition of Resident Evil 8, um, they, they've released that there's like a, a figure of Chris Redfield. And I find it really funny because really, why would you want a figure of Chris Redfield when he changes design every game he's in? <laughs> I mean, yeah, so true. But um, you see him. I mean, generally speaking, he is quite strikingly handsome. So, <laughs> not a bad thing to have a figure off if you're into that kind of thing. Yeah, this design reminds me of Billy Butcher from The Boys, <laughs> just without the spike. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point, actually. That's a good. Oh uh, yeah, I can't stop seeing it now. <laughs> He's, um, I'm, I'm, to- I'm, to- I'm totally not just looking at pictures of Chris Redfield on Google. Did you? Do you ever remember? Um, I don't know if you ever played Code Veronica. But the the model in Code Veronica has like the biggest fucking forehead, and it's really really off putting. But it's honestly so funny. Like anyone at home, um, Google Chris Redfield Code Veronica because he's got the funniest face, and <laughs> it's in the cutscenes more than an actual gameplay, by the way. But the cutscenes in Code Veronica do not do him any favors, and it's really funny. No, I'm looking at it now. That is quite big. It's a giant forehead. Uh, yeah, you could you could advertise it on that forehead. You could, like <laughs> advertise a message against like the umbrella corporation on that forehead. Another the last thing I wanted to add to that is that they advertise so at the very end of the presentation, um they they basically said that the recent Netflix film, which was uh it was animated CG film and it was based on mm-hmm what happens after Resident Evil 4. Um, so that is coming to Netflix. So I was thinking we should probably do a fucking dumbass review of that stupid film. Um, <laughs> that's going to be interesting to, that's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, because I feel like after, because we both love 4, I think it'd be a good like mm-hmm. stand um, jumping point. But also we should probably do like, we should probably do a few bad movies as well. Like I was thinking we could do like a few reviews of like the, the Resident Evil films. <laughs> I mean, I've yeah, I've got all of them, so I'm happy to do that. We should genuinely do like a, a review of like the first two, maybe. And and I I don't know. Do you like them? I remember you when we were younger. We used to go to the cinema to see them because I imagine you used to like them. Yes, yeah, yeah. Me and my mum used to like enjoy those zombie movies. I don't know why. Your mum? <laughs> yeah, me and my mum used to go see them together. Because she was like, God damn, yeah, she she yeah, she was all for it. She used to take me to them. So like. I remember once after college, she took me, I think, to see Resident Evil Afterlife. Yeah. Is that the one in the barren yeah. wasteland apocalypse place? Yeah, the, the, yeah, that, I think it's, yeah, the one after uh, after um, Apocalypse. Yeah. Apocalypse is the second one. And then there's... Like, apocalypse, yeah. Um, because and that's the only one which is based on the games, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's pretty much the only one based on the games. I just like the, the idea of... I think of. I just like the idea of you sat there in the cinema next to your mum and then your mum, like, Nemesis turns on screen and your mum turns around and goes, I'm like, look, it's Nemesis. And look, he's got the rocket launcher. I'm so I'm so excited. Like, she's like a big fanboy of Resident Evil. That's great. <laughs> I mean, potentially. I can't see any other reason why she'd willingly take, take me to those movies. But it's, it's a very nice memory I have as a child. That's like... Uh, that's one of those bonding moments I would never have expected, but that's actually really nice. Yeah, because, like... Because I was like super into the games, so I think I pretty much used to watch like the first and second film at home a lot. 
And so she probably just sat through those films a fair few times and probably like got like curious about what would happen next. <laughs> I, I think that's how it kind of happened. Also, like, she used to watch me play Resident Evil 4 on the TV all the time. Oh, fair enough. And like, and comment on how bad I was playing <laughs> most of the time. I think recently I might go back and play um, the, because I've only ever played the PlayStation versions of it. I've never played... I've never played it on, oh, or rather, I haven't ever finished it on the Wii. I might go back and play it on the Wii again so I can get like the easier headshots and stuff. Because obviously, the Wii version is the easiest when it comes to shooting things, isn't it? Because of the motion controls. But it's oh, definitely, yeah. fun, in my opinion, because of the motion controls. I mean, yeah, that it was definitely one of the first games I played on the Wii, but I found like getting headshots and stuff was quite easy. Yeah, especially with how, like how, like considering like how um, erratic some of the enemy movements were. Yeah, um, um, yes, yeah, I still found getting them. Yeah, I found the Wii version. Yeah, is because I, I played the Wii version before I got good at the game, and then I got good at the game when I was playing it on the PlayStation. But I was like, mm-hmm. because I got used to shooting with um, uh, an analog stick, I I think I just kind of got used to it. But then I became really good with shooting with the analog stick, but it's like. Um, obviously the shooting is a little bit outdated compared to what you get now because it's not a twin shooter. It's um, it's like you press, it's tank controls, isn't it? So you press one button mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it becomes a shooting aim view. Um, so when you're playing the Wii version, obviously that aiming is a non-issue because it's just putting your hand in that correct direction. So I might give it a go. I really wish, um, I would have bought it for like the fifth time um, on the Switch if they released it with motion controls. If they did, then I would have, but they haven't. So what's the point? Yeah, I mean, I kind of wondered why they didn't, especially with what they kind of did with the the Mario 3D All-Stars. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, they, they certainly could have, but I, I probably would have enjoyed it a little bit more and probably definitely would have. I don't know. I think the Wii Remote just lends, it to, lends itself to being like a fucking, uh, basically a gun. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how much the uh, Joy-Cons would be good in that kind of scenario. Yeah, so yeah, that's not that's a good point actually. But I mean, like aesthetically, like the uh, base the control is maybe that's why they kind of went that direction. But eh, just speculating. Well, strange though is that the Resident Evil Revelations, one of the ones on the, I think it's the first one that has motion controls on the on the Switch that has motion controls, whereas on the every everything else it obviously doesn't, and it's like. Weird that you'd add it in for that, but not the game which originally mm. had motion. They also added in, actually, uh, someone pointed it out. I think it was one of the YouTubers, Stop uh, Kelsons from Fighting. He was just like, it was weird, is that they pointed out that um, in Resident Evil 4, the game which was built around the motion controls, they didn't add it into <laughs> the Switch. But Resident Evil 5 and 6 and Revelations, the games which weren't built around motion controls, they added it in for the Switch port. <laughs> That's super strange. <laughs> yeah, it's very weird, isn't it? Like, I, I can't wrap my head around that one. Yeah, that's a very weird piece of trivia. I'm like, but no, <laughs> yeah, like that kind of le- that kind of leaves me baffled. Because <laughs> I kind of any I, I, there's like no counter to that. Basically, it's like what that doesn't make any sense. Mm. But yeah, man. Oh well. <laughs> Resident Evil, I'm I'm excited for Resident Evil 8. I think it'll be a fun time. I think it'll be a very scary time. Um, will you be getting this game on launch? I may wait for a bit until there's a price drop. Yep, I'm a cheapskate, so probably wait for a price drop. <laughs> yeah, especially if PlayStation 5 games are still going to be fucking £70 at launch, which are ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, to be honest, like, I don't know. I mean, the trailer's, like, super tantalising. Um, the, the demo thing they've released is probably going to, like, 
tease me a bit as well. So yeah, no, that's a good point. I, yeah. I, I could very well end up just being baited into buying the game, and I probably I'm not going to complain because mm-hmm. goddamn it looks cool. You probably get the Chris Chris figure yeah. and, and just like whisper it, whisper to it. I wish your head, your forehead was a lot bigger. Um, I mean, I mean, like. Well, I might just wipe something on his forehead. I've got, I've got plenty of shelf space for a Chris Red, for a Chris uh, figurine. Just, just, just right on his forehead. Listen to the train of ambivalence, <laughs> <laughs> and then back on your shoulder when you go to work. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely going to check out the demo tonight, and yeah, I'll see how it goes. Yeah, me too. I'll, I'll see how it goes. We can maybe do like a, a little brief review of the demo next week when we, when we talk about it. if we both play through it in time. Um, and if we both remember if we both remember yeah we'll we'll write it down so we remember um so moving on from resi uh mm-hmm. we forgot last week so we should probably mention it this week so browsers fury had a trailer recently um mm-hmm. and it looks nuts like it doesn't just look like an expansion of 3d world it looks like mm-hmm. it, it looks like the lost dlc that we should have got to odyssey yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's 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 a strange one. I, I mean, like it left me excited, yeah. and I did end up pre-ordering it. <laughs> <laughs> it works. Whatever Nintendo was doing, it works. I pre-ordered it a while ago, but I remember I wasn't. I remember because I never had the Wii U version. I was like, oh, cool, I get to play Free World. I didn't know they were going to add stuff in, extra things, and then. Mm. Um, because not just it's not just Bowser's Fury which they've added in. Um, they're also tweaking the gameplay so that everything's a lot faster. Because apparently, I mean, the, the complaint for the original was that like everything, the, the pacing is really slow, including Mario and the, the character movement and stuff. Whereas now it's like it's going to be faster, which means it's probably going to be a little bit more difficult. But you know, difficulty is not a, too much of an issue normally with Mario games. So. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I'm yeah, that, looking forward to 3D World. It's like the only 3D Mario game I've never played. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fantastic. Like you said, they've made those tweaks. I mean, I think that's really going to go down quite well. And like it's, like you said, the difficulty is never really that much of an issue in most Mario games. Exactly. So I think it's just going to end up with some huge improvements on that end. The actual Browser's Fury bit looked really, really cool. I'd rather say it looked amazing. So everybody was saying, like, look at this Super Saiyan cat at the end. And I was like, guys, that's a lion. Like, that's definitely not a Super Saiyan cat. <laughs> I mean, it kind of did look like a Super Saiyan cat. I'm, I, like, it prob- like, Akira Toriyama probably raised a few eyeballs at that, let's be honest. Yeah, man, I'm sure Toriyama is used to people ripping him off. Like, it, by this point, there have been so many Dragon Ball references and shit that he's probably just mm. like, yeah, you know what, do whatever you want. I'm, I'm retired, I'm tired, I'm fucking, I'm, I'm <laughs> done with this shit. <laughs> the whole the whole bell transformation scene like that remind you know the um there's a pokemon episode hmm. where there's a, like a, i think it's a giant gengar that faces off with a giant um um alakazam yes i've seen that that's one of, like the first um, yeah so like that whole scene it kind of reminded me of that pokemon episode so like they come across these like relics and i'm sure one of them is a bell <laughs> and the bell transforms these Pokemon or awakens these Pokemon to like take up giant forms with weird tribal markings. And Jigglypuff does the same and kind of saves the day and puts them just these giant Pokemon to sleep. But that's what it really reminded me of because that's like one of my favorite Pokemon episodes. So. That sounds very familiar, but there's so many Pokemon episodes over like the years that I've watched that I can't pinpoint which one, which one it is. Um, it's talking about Pokemon, to be fair, like that whole bit at the end, one hundred percent reminded me of a Gigantamax 
battle. When I, when I was watching it, the Dy- Dynamax battles, I was like, mm. when Mario, when you're seeing the camera behind Mario and it's facing off against Bowser, I'm like, shit, am I playing Pokemon Sword again? What happened there? <laughs> yeah, it almost kind of reminded me of like a, a, a Calamity Ganon kind of vibes as well. What? Like the, Bowser's just the Bowser, like... The, the Calamity Bowser. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, basically Calamity Bowser, he's just gone furious and yeah, just like lost all kind of rationale and just destroying shit until he's eventually put back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I find the um the concept like the, the story concept, even as basic as story in Mario games are, um, in this one essentially somebody's placed like Bowser under a spell and he's gone crazy. And that's why um Bowser Jr. is tagging along with Mario. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh that'll be an interesting dynamic, even though neither of them really speak. Bowser Bowser Jr. just like just like squeaks. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, makes noises. Yeah, my mama peach alone. I mean, like, let's face it. All, all the voices in uh, Super Mario Sunshine were, I think, were a mistake. <laughs> the voices in Mario Sunshine were not great, no. Um, but, I mean, it'll um, be cool. Uh, I'll be, I'll be super excited to actually play a two-player of that game with you when yeah, we eventually can. I can't wait to play like full on. I can't wait to do a four-player playthrough of mario 3d world and like embellish and and, and just em- enjoy the the chaos that ensues mm. because of it because have you ever have, have you ever seen people play four player on that because it's designed around one player and when you're playing four player it just goes to shit and it's really funny but also like what the fuck is going on it's chaotic as hell that sounds so cool though yeah. i'd be down for that <laughs> for a fun mixer of fun game we can do it like parties and stuff um yeah uh, along, along with playing um our extreme was it um dead or alive extreme scholar whatever it's called scarlet extreme yeah definitely uh, we don't want to be playing that in a room full of other guys man <laughs> we've got to make some use of it the next bit i wanted to touch on so balan wonderworld the mm-hmm. so balan wonderworld a trailer came up for that a few months ago um in like one of the nintendo directs but basically it's actually mm-hmm. getting a demo coming out next week um, so for people who don't know, I only found this out recently, Balan Wonderworld is actually being developed and created by um, uh, Naito Ishima and um, Yuji Naka, who are the original creators of Sonic the Hedgehog, and they're reuniting to make this. So I was like, oh, that'll make it, that'll make for an interesting prospect. Because um, Yuji Naka is like, uh, well regarded as like one of the best gameplay programmers of all time so um he, he's the reason why sonic has the spin dash he's the one who coded it in and then whenever like he's revered to the point where um the people who did the 3ds port of um of sonic the hedgehog one um they they needed to like contact him to ask him to to how to like implement the spin dash into sonic one and he helped them, oh yeah though he doesn't work for sega anymore that's super sweet yeah because it's like you want you want you want you want to see your baby do well exactly exactly so you know the guy he's those those guys have made like some of the best games of that generation so i'm excited to see what they come up with so balan wonderworld coming out um soon demos coming out soon so definitely give that a look and might be what you want it's a free what 2d 2d platformer 3d platformer can't remember which way which way around it is but it looks pretty good it looks very colorful it's very vibrant world so Mm. give it a look we might do I mean, that. Yeah, I mean, like it's being published by Square Enix, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, I mean that looks it looks it does look super interesting. But um, what are you gonna get it on? Because it does have the options for PS Five, um, Switch. Uh, as usual, I just kind of weigh it up to see what the benefits are with buying it on the mm-hmm. Five. Because if I can, I'll yeah. buy it on Switch. To be honest with you, um, I don't see yeah. the point in 
if it runs okay or if it runs good enough on the switch i'll get it on the switch that's generally my policy because if it's on the switch i'll be able to put more time into it if i need to yeah that's true that's true it's a, it's a good point it's always something you want to um, kind of log into when you're looking at um, games that have been like released on several platforms, isn't it? Especially yeah. when you've got something like the Switch. Oh, this, this was the issue when I first bought Bloodstained um, because originally, when when before the game came out, originally I was planning to get it on the Switch. And then when it actually came out, there were like horror stories about how it ran on the Switch. And um, mm, and that's why I just gave sad. up. I, yeah, so I just gave up and bought it on the PS4 instead. Um, so... Yeah, it's just you just got to make those decisions when the time actually comes. Watch a few gameplay trailers. You don't want to go and buy it and then get annoyed you bought the wrong version. You know, you don't want to have that buyer's remorse, especially when the game fundamentally works better on something you already have. Oh, yeah, that's so true. I mean, that's very much why I gave Witcher a miss on the Switch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and finally, uh, well, in, unless you have anything else that you wanted to talk about in terms of news. Um, top of my head, I cannot think of anything. That's okay. I think, to be honest, have a look. Well, the last thing I wanted to talk about is basically um, the the PS5 came back in stock recently over the last few days, I think it was. And um, as you would expect, it went online and immediately sold out. And then everyone was complaining online. Um, and mm. I thought that. And apparently, a a scalper boasted about getting two thousand of them um, for themselves using a bot from so from fucking the game, sad man from the game websites. Um, yeah. So, so game have yeah, kind of refuted this, but I, I I would expect it to be true. I mean, it's the, this is inherently the issue with everything being done online because mm. you yeah these you, you can't hack a queue. Is a thing you can't set up a bot for a queue. Um, you have to physically be there when you're buying. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you—that's the thing. Like you, you don't stand a chance against a bot. And I feel so bad for these people who are waiting so patiently. Yeah. Just for a PS5. Um, I mean, it's been how many months since the release of it? Yeah. Of course, like distribution's hampered with like the current pandemic. But my heart goes out to those people because God fucking damn it! So it must be so frustrating. I do feel so bad for them. I do, yeah, me too, man. And it's like makes me more grateful that we um we managed to get it on launch, to be honest with you, because it does seem like a massive ball lake. That um, so fucking lucky, so lucky. But it's, it seems like a massive ball lake, like trying to get one now. Just they Sony haven't really made it any easier. Um, I don't know if the Xbox is as hard to get. Um, I I assume, I would assume it is. I I'd, I'd assume so. Yeah. But, um, I can't I can't say for definite since like the only the only like kind of news I follow is like. Public Health, Nintendo, Anime, and PlayStation. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, That's the only news I follow. Well, one thing I did want to say, though, I mean, it's sad that we never got the novelty of like an online uh, of a a midnight release this year. It's, mm. it's kind of because I, I don't know if anyone's ever been to a midnight release, but going to one where everybody is hyped about the same thing. And and standing in the queue at night and like chilling around other people is like is actually quite a fun experience. It's like a mini festival, carnival kind of thing. <laughs> I don't I mean, know if you've ever been to any. I have never in my life, and I don't think I want to. <laughs> it's, it's genuinely not what you think it would be. Like it's it's 
fun in a way, but you need to go there with someone, obviously. But of, of course. But, um, it, it is a I, fun experience. I would, I would highly recommend doing at least one in your life just for like a, just to see what it's like. Because I remember we were saying when Smash came out, we were saying we might do the midnight release, but then they chose not to do the midnight release for Smash. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I'd highly recommend it. But I think this year the PS5, like I was a, that's something that will be missed. You know, because mm. I mean, how often does a new console come out that people can then queue outside all night for, you know? That is very true. Um, could happen in the future, but I severely doubt it. It's probably going to be a thing for past now, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, like, work with, as someone who's worked in customer service, I think it's quite shit to have, have to work for, like, till mid, past midnight yeah. selling consoles. To be fair, like, I think a lot of the time they just, it's, it's shift work, isn't it? So it's like whoever can do the, late one you you just start later if i'm not mistaken they wouldn't yeah, make them, they wouldn't make them work from like 8 a.m till past 12 o'clock because i think yeah but i think doing doing like even picking up a shift where say from like 8 p.m to like 4 a.m i still think that's just fucking awful mm-hmm. i mean like doing 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 night shifts really like mess you up and working in customer service over a night shift i think that's like hell yeah i mean it's uh night shifts do do not do well for you in the long run. Um, no. As yeah, as we've both experienced recently, or we've been experiencing for a few years. Um, but yeah, man, like that's about it in terms of news. But we we've covered a fair bit there, especially about the Resident Evil. I'm excited to see what happens, and uh, yeah, we'll have more news for you next week. Unless you have anything you want to add. I do not know actually. I think that's uh, that's it for the news roundup. Fair enough. So, well, ladies and gentlemen, um, I don't think we've mentioned this yet, but this week's episode is, uh, well, actually, it'll probably be in the title of the episode. Um, this week's episode is a review of the very recent Disney film, Disney film, uh, Soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, you go into it first and now can I chip in, but I loved it. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, key things to get out the way first. Um, this is Disney Pixar and not Disney Animation because there is a difference. Um, and this yeah. is a difference which I never really, un- like, I never really picked up on until quite late because I remember telling people, I'm like, hey, no, Frozen and Tangle, they're Pixar films. And they're like, no, it's Disney Animation. And it's, I mean, they look identical. So, <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much, pretty much. There's like, there's, you can really see the difference in the kind of animation structure of like individual people. The uh, I guess I guess a good place to start would be a little bit of a plot summary, right? Yep. Spoilers. Oh, Don't sorry. listen. Leave. One hundred percent spoilers uh, for uh, this children's film, Soul. Uh, but also, if you have any kids who review in the car, first of all, don't listen to us in front of them. But even if you are and yeah. you're being a negligible, negligent parent, um, maybe maybe don't let them listen to this bit because this is going to be pretty spoiler heavy on what is a pretty great film. And you know, I think it would detract from the experience if you if you knew oh definitely because yeah. it is genuinely yeah. that good. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin any kind of sense of wonder that kind of comes with like a children's film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is pretty much the opposite of Wonder Woman. Like, this was just the correct level of time and length. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I love that you touched on that. Yes, perfect time, good time. 
<laughs> it was a good time. It was only like an hour and 50 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, this is fantastic. Like I can actually do other things today and 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 yeah. like watch this and make notes and then just go about my day. And I don't have to worry about like having sat there for three hours and having like a, a joint pain and shit and taking breaks. So true. So true. <laughs> like it, it's, it's so short and perfectly timed. I've watched it twice. <laughs> That's a very good point. It's like you basically made up the time to watch Wonder Woman by watching this twice yeah. over like three yeah. years or something. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. To, to get into like the little bit of the plot summary, so I think mm-hmm. uh, a good place to start would be so you've got um, you've got the main character played by Jamie Foxx, and his name is Joe, and he's a musician, and mm-hmm. and he's like, I'm not gonna lie, watching Joe. Um, really really hit close to home that beginning bit mm. when they're all just shitting on his like aspirations to be an artist because obviously like i want to i'm trying to make it as a comedian and i'm watching him just like damn it this is too real <laughs> yeah i mean he's he's very much he calls himself a musician but he's a very stru- he's a struggling musician yeah. he's trying to find his big break and he's making up part-time jobs as a uh, part-time band teacher essentially yeah, and then he gets offered the full-time position and he's he's kind of disheartened by it because I guess for him, it's like, this is supposed to be a part-time gig until I make it. Yeah. As getting the full-time. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Him getting that full-time position as a band teacher is him acknowledging his underlying dream, his ambitions of, yeah, that's it for him. And it's like it's a great little insight into, into the life of, a, of an artist, essentially, because 90% mm-hmm. of people won't make it. Like generally speaking, in every creative field like that, ninety percent of people won't make it in terms of like the the getting your name out there and and it's yeah, I mean it was refreshing, but also quite we hit way too close to home for me at times. Cause I remember watching it just like when he's having conversations with his mum about how he should probably go and take uh do something else and stop like be more serious mm-hmm. about his career. And I'm like, Man <laughs> Man, that's Yeah, I mean very I mean, like you, you, you really see it as well. Like the animation in his face, his expression, the way he's interacting with the children, like introducing them to jazz. So I, I really love jazz music. I'm like a huge nut for jazz music. Like I collect like first edition jazz albums and shit. Hmm. But like you can really see, like when he's interacting with children, when he's teaching them about music, when he's yeah, you really see his passion and his love, and you can see it's just so strong in him. And to see him struggle, it's really quite heartbreaking almost. It is. And what so what basically happens is you get to see him get his very early on, he gets the opportunity for his big break. Um mm-hmm. one of his ex-pupils call him and say that he plays with like a, a notable local musician and she needs somebody to quickly join them for a show mm-hmm. that night. So he goes to rehearsal and it turns out that he's like amazing and she she recognizes that in him um and mm-hmm. and finally look it looks like it's all up and then he dies mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> he's straight up in, in the most in the most comedic pixar style ever he falls down a manhole 
he falls down a manhole and dies. And that is basically yep. where the um, the double meaning of the film comes from, the name of the film, because mm-hmm. it's not just about soul as in the music. Because I, I didn't know mm-hmm. the plot of this film going in. And when he died, it caught me, me so much. Because um, yeah. I thought the whole thing would be about like the, the love of music and the soul music. Mm-hmm. And instead, mm-hmm. this guy just straight up just dies. And most of the film is him spent as a wandering soul in the afterlife. But like, in in what is basically purgatory he's in he's in purgatory before because it's it, it, yeah it, it takes place so he dies and he goes to a place where your soul goes to before it goes to like the great beyond mm-hmm. and um, one thing i did want to point out right so he's on the escalator going up to what you know it was like uh like a heaven the great beyond yeah the great yeah. beyond and <laughs> when when um later on in the film you get these like these worker things uh like they're they're not souls but they work for the the system of life and death and basically they're they're the the management they're the management yeah they're the management and like they're the one who apportion souls to people and let the souls Mm -hmm. get into shape before they can go down to earth Mm -hmm. and and one of them uh the 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 uh, we'll get into their character later, but like one of them says, like, oh, um, the count is off, as in the number of souls in heaven is off because Joe escapes. Joe escapes that escalator. And I was thinking to myself, surely, seeing as how easy it was for Joe, surely there'd be more than just one soul escaping because I doubt everyone would just accept death that quickly. You, you, <laughs> you think so, you'd think so, yeah. I mean, like, it gets mentioned, I think, part way through the beginning. Someone says, "No, the count hasn't been off for a hundred years, yeah, over a hundred years." So, so, so it's quite possibly it's happened before, because <laughs> he basically just jumps off the elevator, passes yeah. through a little dimension, and ends up in the before life section, where basically the souls that are kind of newborn they get assigned their personalities, and he, yeah, becomes a mentor. <laughs> <laughs> so Joe escapes. He he he's basically got this plot. So even though he's dead, his focus is still on being able to make his gig. Mm-hmm. And he uh he just goes on this quest to try and get back to Earth so he can play in the gig because it's a big shot. And he goes to the before life, he escapes the elevator, goes to the before life section, and he meets this um this other soul played by Tina Fey called 22 who and he's appointed <laughs> her um her mentor and she's fantastic like she's <laughs> she, oh yeah. fantastic in everything but yeah she's she's really good in this she brings the character to life and what you get is this uh unlikely pairing of, of joe kind of like showing her the ropes and um mm-hmm. and they they both end up by accident going down to earth and falling into the joe's body but the thing is that Joe doesn't actually fall into his own body. He falls into a body of a cat and 22 falls yeah. into Joe's body. I think like the, the best part of um, the character of 22 is that all the souls that are in the before section, they all have, they all assigned numbers. Yeah. So the, the batch which are currently going through being assigned mentors like one um, to, to find their, like the, to find them, their, their, their spark, their meaningful life. Um, the latest one is like 22 billion or something. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Tina Fey, who's like 
been failed so many times because she does not want to progress into life. Yeah. She's just 22 and I love that so much. And another thing another thing I really loved was that the fact that she had so many famous mentors. <laughs> so she goes from like um Aristotle to Gandhi to like Muhammad Ali and she's failed all of them and she's collected their name badges and she has them on her wall. <laughs> loved it. It was uh, Muhammad Ali. I went I was watching it and I was like it, it kind of like reminded me, but Muhammad Ali is dead. <laughs> and, and and I was like, ah, oh, I forgot that happened. Damn it. <laughs> That's actually a very good point because I also forgot Muhammad Ali was dead. Because <laughs> <laughs> that happened like only like seven years ago, eight years ago. I can't remember, but I remember I was watching. I was like, uh, I'm, I'm literally just Googling now. So he died in 2016. 2016. So that's not seven years ago. That's like five years ago. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Goddamn. <laughs> that was way more recent than I thought it was. I know, right? Normally things really happen is. the opposite way where it turns out to be a lot longer a longer time ago than I think it is. But yeah, okay. Yeah, that was a sad moment because I was like, oh, wait, no, that's the only one who I was alive to see. <laughs> I I'm, I kind of just Googled uh, Muhammad Ali and he has a daughter called Layla Ali. Yeah. And she's, a, of course, she's a professional boxer from 1999 to 2007. Yeah. And she retired undefeated. And she's got twenty. She did twenty-four total fights, twenty-four wins, twenty-one by knockout, no losses. She kicked ass. She really kicked ass. <laughs> like, how do we not know that? She's like super middleweight and lightweight, but digressing. But I was like, oh my god, like she really kicked ass. Maybe it's just because, like, I don't know. Do you follow boxing that much? <laughs> not really. No, neither do I. To be honest, I kind of know it, but not really. So, let alone like, um, like any niche boxing or anything not going to be not going to be something i'm just going to know off the top of my head <clears throat> super cool to know though that is, that is really cool to know um so yeah they go down to earth they uh, <laughs> back to the movie they they go down to earth joe and 22 they basically live a day out in joe's life and what joe comes to realize is that because 22 is him and he's going around and treating people really well instead of just focused on his obsession of jazz. It's like uh, a lesson in, in what happens when you're just too focused on one thing and you start mm-hmm. to miss like the, the finer things in life and the smaller details, which is what mm-hmm. 22 sort of uh, emphasizes. It does. She's, yeah. she's like going around experiencing things that we take for granted for the first time. And she's talking to people mm-hmm. and, and like making an effort with them. Like there's a bit where <laughs> they go for a haircut and um, Joe's like, Oh yeah, I always talk to him about, I always talk to the barber about jazz and we talk about jazz. And then 22 just asks him about his life. And, and uh, she says at the end, like, Oh, um, was it him? And he goes, Oh, you know, you normally we just talk about jazz. What happened? He goes, Oh, you never asked. And it's like, Oh, and it's like Joe comes to the realization throughout the film that it's not just all about jazz. Like maybe even as an artist and something, someone that you're born to do this, this craft that you're born to do, life is still more than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of, it's part of the story as well. So these like, like 22, these newborn, these pre babies, soul things, yeah. they get assigned their personality and get assigned a spark. But what Joe misunderstands is he thinks the spark is the meaning for life, his his meaning of life, basically. The purpose. With yeah, his purpose of life. And because he's kind of misinterpreted it, interpreted it as his spark meaning for life, it's kind of become his obsession. And he's kind of just 
become less open to other things. And I think that's what really like 22 really like teaches them about, like you said. Yeah, exactly. No, that's, that's pretty much it. And <clears throat> so they end up um, going back to the, the purgatory <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, Throughout the film, there's, as we said, the management, the people who are trying to sort things out. There's this one, like, manager person who counts things, and she's she's played by um, the New Zealand lady who's in all of the, the Taika Waititi films, and she basically plays the same character she does in Hunt for the Wilder People. And she's amazing. Like, she's probably the funniest bit of the whole film. So good. She, like, I think his name's um, Jerry. Wait, no, it was Terry. Terry, Terry, yeah. Yeah, Terry. Yeah, so he's like a super, a super stickler for counting and this obsession for like attention to detail. And like, Love it. The way, the way he tracks them down and like pulls that random guy into the <laughs> the void. And the void. Yeah. Goes, oh shit, that's the wrong. Scars, scars him for life. <laughs> he's like, yeah, let's not talk about this. And that was amazing. Like that was probably my favorite like, character in the whole film. To be honest with you, as good as everyone else was. Um, but yeah, essentially, Terry ends up doing the job and brings them back to the afterlife and then because 22 finally gets her spark because she's actually lived a day in in the world and she realizes how much fun it can be um then she can finally eat things and how good food is she she actually gets her full earth badge and she can go down to earth whenever she wants to um joe then basically tries to tell her that she only found her spark because she lived in his life and that in actually yeah. was like his spark so mm-hmm. she she gets obviously gets upset she gives him the f badge he goes back down to earth and he actually goes back to his real body um mm-hmm. he then plays the gig and has like one of the most real life realistic moments i've ever seen in a pixar film where he's standing there after the gig and what's interesting is in a normal film right like a normal kids film the gig is where it ends like yeah the gig is the highlight of the film it's where it ends it finishes there and it's like oh he made it and everyone's happy and like you know somebody will turn up his mom turns up and everyone's like oh i'm so proud of you and that's the end of the film whereas this (laughs) carries on going and then joe's standing outside and and he's talking to the lady who gave him his shot and she's like so yeah, we're just going to do it again tomorrow. And he's like, I thought I'd feel more about this, you know? Like, I feel, I thought yeah. I'd feel more content. And like, I'm, a, I'm, a true reflection of life in the sense that you yeah. know so badly, but you when you actually get it, you're like, is this it kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. It, it really it really goes to show when you, because he's misinterpreted as, misinterpreted his jazz as being his spark and his meaningful life. Yeah. When he actually gets it and he when he actually makes it and well, does well, he's like, shit i've got i've got my goal i've got my meaning of life but now what now what am i meant to do with it yeah this is it when you focus like the the, i mean i wish there were films like this when we were growing up because like i feel like it would have curated our personalities a bit better because to be honest with you like the way he just turns around and goes this was my meaning of life but now i've achieved it it feels meaningless like there is a there is a lack of meaning to everything once you've actually achieved that purpose and it's like he then decides to go back into the zone plays his music and so that he can go back to the the pre-life place mm-hmm. and he he finds 22 and 22 has like kind of given up on life on like the idea of getting a life yeah because he's kind of robbed her of the experience and took his um took his life back she kind of loses all hope yeah and 
believes that she has no kind of meaning to her life yeah. and she kind of devolves into a monster that's kind of just so focused on finding them the meaning for their life they lose all other sense and it's really sad quite to see her like that and gotta say i've gotta say yeah and then joe like he, he basically gives up his life so that she can have one is 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 the premise at the end of the film is that he he acknowledges that you know she is it's what she deserved and it's time for him to pass on and then obviously because it's a it's a it's a disney film um they decide that he can have his life back as like a reward for for inspiring the um the management so then he also goes back down to earth and he's a person who's now more appreciative of the the everyday things and it's like uh, yeah he, he becomes like a totally more well-rounded person yeah exactly as a result we, we skipped over a lot there in terms of the plot summary because there were a lot of uh, smaller moments that i think were quite quite meaningful i mean the bits with him with him when he's getting his suit repaired and he's a conversation he has with his mum. That was amazing. Super heartfelt, yeah. Yeah. And he has a conversation through 22. Um, the bits with, uh, like, 22 in the in the pre-life bit before they escape for, to, the, to the Earth, back to Earth, where she's basically, like, showcasing her personality the best, which is, like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> also, yeah. she's, like, the, the smarmy... Um, just like not really caring, but also so much fun. <laughs> oh, without a doubt, yeah. I mean, like one of my favorite things about the film is basically how there's a there's a section of the afterlife mm. which totally has people who become so so lost in an activity they kind of transcend and like move into the state of being like not alive anymore. Yeah, and become part of the afterlife so that they're so in the zone like musicians have come so in the zone they have like an outer body experience and literally move into the kind of i don't know how you'd what you'd call it like the the, the life um, kind of thing you literally call it the zone in that but it's, it's interesting yeah. that the, the zone is a, a place in between life and and the afterlife which is yeah. what happens is yeah. that when you're so focused and good like so focused on the activity that you do, whether it's mm. he goes playing music, he gets so he gets so overwhelmed by playing, and so yeah. he's just so in the zone. He actually transcends, and yeah. But then at the same time, the same thing happens to people who are too obsessed with, like, for example, mm. the the, um, the stockbroker. Stock yeah, the stockbroker is like so obsessed with getting the right sales that <laughs> he ends up becoming one of those like monsters, basically obsession yeah. and. Like one of my favorite things about the zone is you had um, Graham Norton. Yeah, so that's one. I so, <laughs> that was like one of my favorite things. Uh, so uh, Graham Norton plays Moonwind, who's like one of the guys on the street corners who's like throwing a sign about so amazingly, and he's so like in, he's so into it. He ends up in the zone as like a pirate captain who's like steering a ship across it. I, I loved it, and he yeah he becomes like the main guide for. I didn't catch on that he wasn't dead until they saw him in the real life. And I was like, oh my God, what? Yeah. I was like, but he, it's, yeah, he's like, he's so into throwing the sign that he ends up transcending. And it's like, he, he spends his time in the afterlife um, and in the zone, freeing people from their obsessions. It, it was so cool. I mean, I've, I've got to say, that's the thing. Like the zone becomes such an important part of the film. Mm. And it's the only thing that allows... Um, Joe Gardner, the main character, to go back to the kind of afterlife yeah. is the fact he can get into the zone as the musician. 
Yeah. I mean, because let's face it, the only way he could have gone back to the afterlife is if he just killed himself. It would have made the film totally different and a lot darker. I was about to say, I thought that's where the film was angling when it got to I really, I I really thought it did too. But then I realised, oh my God, yeah, when he gathers up all the belongings that he picked up with his time as when 22 was in his body, he uses those to basically transcend and go back to the zone and find her, which was beautiful and magical and perfect. That was, yeah, I was about to say, guys, like, if you haven't seen this film, you should, you kind of owe it to yourself. Um, it's definitely one of the better films that came out this year. Did it come out 2020? It did, right? Yep, yep, late, tw- it came out um, Christmas Day, I believe, actually. Uh, I'm looking at this, yep, December 25th. Retroactively, in terms of our best of 2020, um, this one, like, flies up the list, right? <laughs> yeah this one this one stomps all the competition it was so well-rounded it was heartfelt touching beautiful it had a cartoon cat mm-hmm. i've always maintained like movies need more cats and this is why on my alley because like god damn it i love cats i like and adorable your short your cat phrase for movies is make sure to make please make sure to please but add cat <laughs> Oh yeah, and cat. Even if it's just for like one second. Even, <laughs> even games. Games need more cats. That's like the one thing I loved about um, Miles Morales. Had several cat-related missions. Got to the point where, like, you know, whenever I see a cat in a in a film or a movie, and I know you're also going to watch, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna like this bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you know me well. <laughs> um, I have made like bits and bob notes about this. So uh, one of the other mm-hmm. things I said is that you know when he's when he first plays piano at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it, it it reminded me of like an anime attack where someone's supercharging. Like, you know where if, if mm. this film was an anime, he would have started playing the piano and then started like a super attack would have come out of the piano because he charges mm. up so much when playing. Yeah, that, I think that's the beauty. Like, um, um, John ba- Baptiste, it's Baptiste, isn't it? Or Baptiste? Baptiste. Baptiste. John Baptiste. Yeah, yeah John Baptiste, who's like doing the, um, a lot of the soundtrack and a lot of the kind of jazz compositions for this movie. Yeah. Like his heart and soul into the soundtrack is amazing. It works so well. He really captures like the wonder, the passion, the emotion, the creativity in those keys. And it's amazing to see. It's fantastic. It, it really kind of really well rounds the movie, I think. I've got to say. Like a level of authenticity. With, um, yeah, without a doubt. Putting his soul into it. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I've, I've literally bought the LPs for this movie. There's, like, two versions. Oh, nice. Because, um, um, what's it? I've got his name now. Trent Reznor, is it? Trent Reznor, yeah. I was about to say. So yeah, Trent, Trent, Trent Reznor and Attica Ross. Yeah. Yeah, and um, John Baptiste, like, they, um, they basically come together to do the soundtrack. And it is, oh, my God. I just, I just find it funny that it's like the, the, the person who made his name is like the lead singer of Nine Inch Nails making songs about heroin is <laughs> now doing Disney films. That's, that, there's a real, there's, it's like uh, the music version of Eddie Murphy. <laughs> it really is, but like it, it really goes to show like he's got a, a unique understanding and appreciation, a wide appreciation for music. You don't get and, to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for nothing, isn't it? I guess so. <laughs> Yeah, but the fact it, it it bleeds I can't say it another way, but it basically bleeds into the soundtrack and it rounds the movie so well. That tune he plays when he's trying to think of twenty two and trying to get back to the afterlife is like beautiful. The the piano piece. Mm-hmm. So that that moment when he's trying to reconnect and go back into the zone. Hmm. 
and he gathers all the belongings that um, 22 in his body is collected throughout her day in, in his body. Yeah. Um, I think you probably share the same emotion. Like, I was slightly terrified at that moment. Yeah. I mean, he's like having such a heartfelt moment, searching for his, his life, desperately trying to get into the zone so he can reconnect with 22. I was worried it's going to take like an awful turn where either he's so into the zone and has such an emotional response that he either dies to get there or he offs himself because I couldn't think of any other way where it, he could force it, himself for it to work. I, God I, damn, did it actually work and I was so pleased. I also thought he was going to off himself in that moment because it's like they're doing a recap of his life and I'm like, they wouldn't do a recap of his life without his life quite literally flashing before his eyes and then he dies. I genuinely thought that's where it was going to go but I'm glad it didn't. I mean, it technically did because he did die because then he goes up the he goes up the staircase and stuff. I wonder what's happening to his body while all of this is happening. Like, is it just slumped there on his piano? Because that would have been a really... I don't know. Dark. I, I think I, I think it's very much like Moonwind, who is who is there on the corner of seventh and fourteenth, wherever it was, oh. spinning his sign like totally in the zone. So he's probably still there. His keys going at it. His his neighbors are probably really pissed off, like slamming on his walls. But, but yeah, he's pretty much probably still there. It's the bit where he's on the um, the el- the escalator to mm. heaven, kind of thing. Where I'm like, at this point, he's dead, right? <laughs> yeah yeah it very much looks like he's uh brain dead in hospital i guess mm-hmm. well unconscious in hospital at least uh, but um yeah um there's one thing i really thought was strange when i saw the terry's and the jerry's mm-hmm. so they reminded me of the finder icon for the mac they, they yeah i know what you mean it's the outline they just so like, yeah oh. so the the instantly instant moment i saw them I was like oh my god that's the finder icon for the mac it's like god damn um, but going back to the voice cast, I loved it. I mean, Jamie Foxx was fantastic. Yeah. Tina Fey, like everything Tina Fey does is like pure gold in my book, but she really captures like the childlike wonder of someone who's like so attached to to doing what they do. That, yeah. And she, she brings that like that very typical... The whimsy. The, yeah. yeah. She up, she, it's cool because she brings in what is like a childish character. She brings this... Um, that typical Tina Fey, like know-it-all kind of um, attitude, which everyone, which is great, basically, in in all the things. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to touch on Jamie Foxx because I, 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 I think Jamie Foxx is probably the most like talented all-round performer of of like maybe the two thousands and twenty tens. I would totally agree with you. I mean, like actor, singer, songwriter, comedian, television presenter. He's like. He does it covers every, all the bases. Yeah, he covers all the bases, but he does it to such a consistency because not only because like a lot of comedians act and some make music. This guy is like he's a he's an Oscar winning actor who's also a very good stand up. He does some of the best impressions I've ever heard, and then he also mm-hmm. he also has an amazing singing voice. And I don't know if he's won a Grammy, but like he's been in some. I'm, I'm not too sure, but like that man, he's he's he got material like. He, like that's the thing he's like yeah he is he got material if if anything yeah the only thing what like the only thing he i've not seen him do is the stage play stuff but i'm assuming i'm assuming he would go for the he got because he, he 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 did like um that we we vamp off the um annie movie so he definitely he has the ability yeah to do yeah. something on the main stage if he put if he wanted to but like fox is just ridiculous like here this guy is no, probably the most well-rounded most talented 
person. I'm I'm not sure if you saw the um, SNL bit hmm. about um, Donald Glover. About Donald. Um, that, yeah. So it's basically a Donald Glover bit. Um, it's, it's got Donald Glover introducing Saturday Night Live, yeah. and he's singing about how he can pretty much do anything. Yeah. Um, I feel that song is very much about Jamie Fox. <laughs> yeah. Like like Jamie Fox, he can do anything. <laughs> He can do anything, and he can also be the best at the same time. Like he's, oh, yeah. he's in the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. in, in you know, in terms of just comedic actors, right? He's in the conversation of being one of the best easily. Mm. So I think. Um, I'm sorry. Go on. No, no. Go I'm, on. Sorry. I'm. I'm basically done. I'm. I was just going to say, like, talking about Tina Fey instead. But yeah, go on. Um. Yeah. So I was looking through when I first watched this film back in December when I got up for my family to watch. Um, I was looking through the voice cast and I was super surprised to see Questlove as the barber. Um, Questlove was the drummer, the the guy who, um, I think, I think Questlove was the drummer, wasn't he? He was the the guy who, who, who he, he was his ex-student, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Donnell Rawlins was the barber. Um, which, I think, because Des was the barber, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah so Des was the barber. Des was Donnell Rawlins, the guy who was on mm-hmm. Chappelle Show, the ball guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he he's also, yeah. he's also a comedian and he's um, mm. podcaster, and he he played the barber and Questlove was the drummer guy who basically got gave him gave um, Joe his big chance. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all around the the voice cast was got to say it was fantastic. It was brilliant. Yeah. Richard Ayoade as as one of the Terry or the Jerry's. I forget which one they are. The Jerry. Oh, the Jerry's. Yeah, yeah, one of the Jerry's. Brilliant. He's got to uh, say. His voice sounds so wrong coming from anything other than his body. <laughs> I, I I disagree. I think it works fantastic as like someone who's like proper kind of the whimsical management of the kind of before life. I think it fit perfectly. I'm so used. I don't know how else to say it. It's do you know because like he's like got the the odd voice, but it fits like his odd body. <laughs> is the best way to put it. So it's like you you see him and you're like, yeah, that voice makes sense. Whereas it's weird. I guess I'm just too used to seeing him as him because <laughs> I don't I don't know if he's done any other voice work. But yeah, it, it was just like really striking to me. But obviously, it, it fits it really well. Yeah, I think um, the voice talent was great. And as you said, the 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 lady who played Terry was fantastic as well. As I think she was my favorite part of the whole film. <laughs> oh yeah, I I, I loved it. Um, one thing I really loved about the animation is the kind of sheer variation of like how the people looked Mm. yeah i mean like yeah they kind of were weird shapes but like there was like a weird beauty to like how variable everyone was and it wasn't like a matter of like frozen or some film like that where all the female characters basically have the same kind of facial structure yeah like every every everyone was different everyone was unique and everyone was quite frankly beautiful it's not even just like the animated people um there are I, i was thinking when i was watching this like this is like probably up there with like them being the most trippy Disney film up there with like Dr. Strange. <laughs> the people's uh, getting nuts. When he's going between like the before life and the actual world, it's mm-hmm. it's super strange, but got to say, I, I loved it. The yeah. visuals were amazing. Got to say. Visuals were amazing. Um, I feel Disney are doing a weird thing where like the movies are getting strangely deep nowadays. Yeah. Um, 
unless is it our comprehension for like an appreciation of it when it's deeper is just better than it was when we were kids and maybe that's what it is like maybe they were always quite deep <laughs> i don't know but this this was like this felt like thematically it was yeah. more relatable deep if that makes sense like the things that joe yeah. goes through besides dying and coming back to his body and all that stuff like the actual personal struggle that joe has was relatable to yeah. a lot of people and i think i don't know that's not that common say something like aladdin yeah i 100 percent agree with you on that um i've got to say like as someone who's like changed jobs and degrees like several times there was like a sense of dread and like fear that he has telling his mother about what he wants to do yeah and yeah. what he wants to do with his life like the fear that he'd be rejected by them the fear that they wouldn't agree i i feel so many people have probably gone through that yeah even I've, even even whether it's like relating to your job your gender your sexuality imagine yeah. like so many people have probably like been in that kind of position yeah yeah absolutely and having but, to have a hard, hard conversation with their parents and trying to yeah. like let them know that this is who you really are you know and exactly it's uh yeah i mean it's almost like the people doing the writing are just like let's try to make this as relatable as possible nowadays i think because mm -hmm. of the it being on like a streaming platform and stuff is you know that it, as as like for example how you watched it it's going to be there for mm -hmm. the whole family now not just mm -hmm. just um like taking a couple of the kids and it's one adult going now it's like everybody sitting down to watch it and like yeah man i think it's only does them better when you do things like this, where you get people like Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey involved, mm -hmm. when you when you have writing which is both extremely deep and yet fun for kids, like there was no part of that yeah. to adult. All of it was fun. Definitely, I mean, like it goes to show that, like my my entire family watched it and we everyone loved it. Everyone loved it, adored it. I mean, like like you said, the characters they bleed and ooze personality and they're so dynamic and they evolve so beautifully i'm gonna go on a stretch there and say it's probably the best animated film i've ever actually watched like in terms of story and everything it mm. covers all the bases i think i'm sorry i wouldn't i have no idea what to compare it to i think spider verse is up there it's definitely the modern stuff to be honest with you that i would have to compare mm. it to because there's a they're not even though i'm a you know grew up with the renaissance films um mm -hmm. There aren't that many which I would. I think I wouldn't. I would put up above, above it for some reason other than nostalgia. Mm. Like I really like Aladdin, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's like a better overall film. I think it's, I say it would because it, it's so covered. Like I said, it covers all the bases I want. It's got no, I'm like a weird Aladdin there. I'm as in like I'm not. Okay. The only reason I would say I prefer Aladdin is because of nostalgia. But like, oh yeah, I would say this in terms of like just as a film is probably mm. just fantastic compared to a lot of the older stuff i mean it it it's probably goes to show that we're probably not going to see a film this good for a while <laughs> yeah i mean it was it's the highlight of 2020 in terms of films to be honest with you guys like we, without a doubt we really went into it and in the 2020 episode where we talked about how little there was to talk about well you know what this would have covered a whole episode and how much we wanted to talk about it um oh without a doubt are you are we good i mean like do, do you have anything else you wanted to add about it not too much. I'm, I'm still going. I'm going to say it again. I would love to see more cats in films, please. <laughs> yeah, so please make sure to please but add cats. So it's a few more yeah. words, like what? Mm -hmm. Eight words now. <laughs> yeah, shorter but add a cat. Shorter but add a cat. Um. So yeah, I mean, 
in terms of our next segment, is there anything for Amrix Anime Corner? Or <laughs> Amrix Anime Corner. So um, I have um, still watching Rurouni Kenshin. <clears throat> I finished one of the main arcs, which introduces the fantastic um, antagonist, Makoto Shishio, who is also in um, the game Jump Force. Um, gotta say that arc is amazing and they actually did redo it like in like the, I think 2012 so I'm excited to see the, um, how they've redone it mm. um, I have actually started to watch a, another anime that's been recommended to me by one of the people I work with and um, it's called Dr. Stone oh, yeah. um, I have been seeing I have been seeing uh, a lot of hype for hype about it um, the second season on um, various uh anime news channels so i thought yeah may as well give it a go um it's quite interesting i've got to say because it's a couple of episodes in the premise is strange as hell mm. um basically um the story follows two guys in what looks like high school everyone in the world's been turned to stone just about just as one of the main guys is about to confess his love to someone to another <laughs> student so, as soon as he's about to do that everyone in the world gets turned to stone <laughs> And time skips like 3,800 years in. Years in. <laughs> Everyone's still like turned to stone and suddenly the two boys get turned back into people. And one of the, one of, it sounds so, it sounds so ridiculous, but it gets even weirder. Like, so one of the guy that wanted to confess his love, he's like the typical brawny type. Yeah. And his friend is basically the sciencey brainy type. And within the first episode of the kids, the brainy kid basically has come up with the cure to turn people back into actual people again from statues. As a concept, it's so fucking weird. But <laughs> god damn it, it is good fucking anime. It's so nonsensical. So where's the plot? It's, because if they've already come up with the cure to turn people back into people from stone people, then like where does it the, go? The, the, the plot is they base he wants to um basically reanimate the girl he loves mm. um they're just trying to rebuild society so they're kind of slowly starting to un unstone other people <laughs> yeah um it's it's super weird uh like in this i don't want yeah i i i can mm. see why people have enjoyed it yeah. it's it's funny it's whimsical it's strange as hell it's different and it's so random but it's actually really quite a good watch i've got to say i understand why people have been hyped for the second season i've I like probably not sold it very well i am not the best at explaining things as you probably know that was pretty god funny. damn it's good i like the it, idea god damn it's pretty good i like the idea that like the the core the core premise is that everybody's been turned to stone and then the episodes have nothing to do with that like that, that sounds fucking hilarious <laughs> i mean uh, uh, yeah i probably should have put more emphasis on the tent stone because that is basically the whole plot Everyone's in most time to stone and they're just trying to bring people back so they can re restart society. Yeah, it's it's very weird. <laughs> it's sounds, very weird. It sounds very strange, but also I'm assuming it's hilarious in that way. It is it is quite funny, but um it's proper kind of shonen jump um manga, so you know it's good shit. Yeah. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, like I said, it's recently started its second season. As I think a part of the fourth season, it started its second season. Mm. And yeah, it's been reviewed quite highly. And it's like, yeah, the second season's been so like highly anticipated. 
uh, yeah, I've just joined <laughs> and yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. I also did this like slightly weird thing where I had a really, really weird hankering to watch the first episode of Samurai Champloo. Oh yeah. So you know, you, you've seen the series. It's like the first episode where um, Mugen and Jean like first cross paths. Yeah. Then they're trying to they have really in the in yeah the, like burn it down. In, yeah, I had a weird hankering to see that uh, first episode again. Yeah. So I watched it in like full HD, and God damn, that fight scene is amazing. That fight scene's amazing. So that show specifically is like one of my favorite anime of all time. And um, I remember after I finished watching it, I was like, I guess the show I kept trying to get my brother to watch because he's the one who showed me Cowboy mm-hmm. Bebop. And I'm like, I really mm-hmm. need to watch Samurai Champloo. I was like, yo, hip hop and samurai, you're going to love this. And I, I, I like tried for ages. And when I finally got him to agree, they took it off Netflix. But then um, it came back on recently, like within the last uh, few months. So I got him to watch a little bits of it. Um, last time that they were allowed over and he was like yeah this is really good watched maybe two three episodes i was like i when i was watching it re-watching with him i was like yeah i remember why i love this show because it's so like for example in the first episode a lot of the times when they're cutting between scenes they do a a record scratch. Yeah. yeah yeah that's my that's my impression of a record scratch it's, it's, it's just like this is such a brilliant blend of two things that i love mm-hmm. But it's 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 a it's like it's such a remarkable blend like you'd never really think to put those two themes together yeah yeah by god does it work funnily enough you say that because i was talking to my friend uh, chris about it and he was saying that apparently because of that show that like hip-hop and um and anime became quite closely associated so a lot yeah, of the, without a doubt. like anime clips and stuff and uh, compilations online you will see it accompanied to hip-hop now and mm-hmm. it's like people yeah. because of samurai champloo that it made that sort of impression um but yeah man like if anyone yeah if you haven't watched samurai champloo i'd highly recommend it it's such a great series only 26 episodes and yeah Honestly, you'd be, you'd be doing yourself a disservice by not giving it a go. And you should also give Dr. Stone a go, because I'm sure it sounds it sounds really fun. I would I would rec- hands down recommend both series. Uh, Samurai Champloo is just a remarkable blending of so many different flavors. Like you said, you've got the Samurai aspects mm. and the hip-hop. You've got like characters who should, by all rights, and should not go together. Yeah, You've got like a really kind of upstrung... Um, serious old-fashioned samurai you've got basically a kind of vagabond ex-pirate who fights in the most archaic style whatsoever and then you've got like a young girl all come together it's such a weird dynamic but god damn it it works and the story gets surprisingly emotional and heavy is all i can say the what i loved from like the very offset with Samurai Champloo is that with um, Mugen and Jin, two samurais, their fighting style represents their personalities and they really, really emphasize that. It was like Mugen's like rash and he, he attacks. He's he's just raw power and his character is is like just fucking awful, but he's effective. And then Jin is mm-hmm. calm and collected and very technical and precise and he's cut yeah, the old the old the old fashioned kind of samurai kind of ronin kind of thing exactly and it's like he's like the cool calm collected ready to die ready to die is all and, and it's like yeah. i will place i will cut you exactly in the precise place that i want to cut you whereas mugen is like all power just mm-hmm. overwhelm you and that's kind of like how their personalities are as well and it's just it's such a great blend such a great cast um and mm-hmm. 
and the fight scenes are all good and the score is honestly probably one of my favorites in all of anime but i, I can't think of too many more shows that the actual score during the um during the actual scenes is that good because it's like the background music not just um the theme songs but the background music is fantastic so the actual soundtrack um i actually because I, I watched the initial fight scene i yeah. basically just kind of re-downloaded the entire sound again so the the actual soundtrack is also kind of what brought um kind of lo-fi hip-hop to the kind of mainstream that's, that's a lot exactly. of it was done yeah a lot of it was done by a guy called i think oh, probably butchering his pronunciation but new job is new jubis yeah that's new jubis. um so like he kind of his music really came to the forefront and unfortunately he died quite um not too long after the series came out i believe did he but, oh my yeah. yeah so yeah he passed away quite um yeah unfortunately yeah passed away quite untimely um shortly after the series was made but mm. his work on the series is fantastic there's one song i think it's called like high Isru style on mm. that on that album and i used to keep listening to it when i was working because <laughs> it's like it's just great music to have on in the background when you're trying to focus on other things yep it's like proper lo-fi beats to study too <laughs> exactly um, but yeah, man, do you got anything else for Amrix Anime Corner? Or should we move on to like... Amrix Anime Corner. So um, basically, I have... <laughs> I've got... Um, after I finish uh, Ruini Kenshin, I totally intend to watch Attack on Titan properly. Okay. So okay. I, I, bas- I basically watched the first series when it first came out in 2012, 2013, when we were first at university. Yeah. Um, but then I kind of just lost touch of it. Um, but th- apparently the fourth and final season, which is out now, like is being so well received. Like you said, yeah, um, it's, it's meant to be amazing, got great reviews. People say it's visually stunning. It's covering all the plot amazingly from the manga. Yeah. Um, they've developed it quite well for the manga, like I've said. So I think that's probably going to be my next series to go into, I think. It's one of those that I hear so much about it. I feel like I should probably catch up. But it's because I know I knew I didn't want to have a yet another series where I was waiting years to see what happens next. Because that's literally what's happened with it, isn't it? It's like they mm-hmm. staggered the release between seasons so much. Because what keeps happening is when they do that, I end up forgetting what happened in the first season. I have to watch it all mm-hmm. over again. And then you end up being on You know what I mean? And you end up in a never ending cycle. So I'd rather just wait for it all to be finished. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the thing about anime. Like, like you get to a point where the manga is selling amazingly. Yeah. So as a result, it gets a TV series, but then the manga catches up to the anime catches up to the manga, mm-hmm. and they've got to basically just stagger the releases of the anime, just so they don't either catch up and have to results on resort to um, releasing some weird kind of non-canon shits like they did with Bleach. It's like Goku, or they kind of just yeah, yes. or they they do the they do the right thing and just like stagger the releases and yeah, with um. With Attack on Titan, how long is it? Um, so you have 25 episodes in the first series, 12 in the second, and the third has a total of 22. <laughs> Every time I hear Attack on, Attack on Titan, I remember when I was at work and um, my boss my my boss was talking about how um, they were going to go on like a boat with his friend um and his friend's son and he goes oh yeah my friend who's thai and um and their son's name is tan and one of my friends just goes titan 
<laughs> Attack on Titan. <laughs> and every time I, hear, I think of that, I, that specific kid, his name is Tan, who's also Thai. <laughs> and I'm like, don't say Attack on Titan. They're going to figure they're going to go beat up some child. <laughs> oh, mate. That's, that's, that shouldn't be funny, but it is. Oh, Titan. God. <laughs> what do you say as well? Titan. <laughs> Titan sounds like quite a cool name, though. Titan. Yeah, I mean, if you had your nationality as your first name every time, then yeah. <laughs> Titan. It was because uh, he was an adopted child, I think. So they were saying it's uh, a child who's also Thai. And then it goes, whose name is Tan. And Titan. <laughs> that was brilliant. I'd hate to be the reason why I've ruined someone's child's name for them. <laughs> but I'm sure he's an adult now, because that was quite a few years ago. So still, yeah, He's probably all grown up, just like I'm sure destroying he, civilizations. Yeah, he's probably all grown up as a giant monster attacking a village or whatever it is. What what is the premise again? It's giant monsters attack a town or something, right? Yeah. So basically, humanity's been all but been wiped out by this these giant humanoid monsters called titans. Yeah. And the rest of humanity's kind of created a walled city which they basically live in. Um, everyone just lives in fear. The titans attack continuously. You have like some armed corps which. Um, which basically fights the titans, and yeah, that's it. That, that's basically it. Fights the titans. <laughs> yeah, you, you have these giant adopted children from Thailand who are like destroying the the world. But no, anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be watching you that. Take next, me from my mother, you piece of shit. Um, yeah, man, you got anything else for anime? Because uh, I'm I'm still. Just only watching Digimon at the moment. I still got. I've told you to. I've told you to watch so many series. I know. It's just I'm so bad at watching things and can't. St- I'm more, I'm bad at starting things. I'm when I'm when I actually get into the middle of watching something, then I probably will just won't be able to put it down. But I've just been so busy at the moment with like either work or or finishing Bloodstain. So I guess now might be an apt time to move on to like our normal catch up, catch up kind of thing. Yep, I mean, like I've told you so many times before, um, Demon Slayer, Golden Kamoi. Yes, I will. Oh, I damn will. it, you probably, you, pro- you probably still need to watch season two of um, One Punch Man, don't you? Yeah, I do. I know it's, it's honestly terrible. I've got too much to catch up on yet. When I'm sometimes alone, I'm like, huh, I've got nothing to do. I'm so bored. Yeah, no, I'll, and the, I don't know which one should I prioritize, Demon Slayer, right? Because Golden Kamoi's finished, or is it the other way around? Um, Golden Kamoi has finished its third season what the fuck uh, have i just watched yep it's not like yeah, golden's kamoi has finished its third season um yep. left it in an amazing place i've got to say okay um demon slay has finished its first season i think it's 2018 it must have been now um the movie which basically is the kind of next part of the manga mm-hmm. that came out um late last year october time in japan it's only just had an American release and god damn it it needs to be released in the UK or at least on part of some streaming service because I want to watch that fucking film and the manga was so fucking good I remember so when I downloaded when I got uh, Demon Slayer I um, I started playing the first episode just to make sure it works and I think the guys start like in the English dub because if you watched it in Japanese I'm assuming yeah yeah so in the English dub the guy like the first line you hear is like um uh, something like, I always wanted to be a demon slayer and something, something, something. Like, they do the typical anime thing where he talks about his aspirations. 
And um, I, 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 all I had in my head was the beginning of Goodfellas, where he's like, "All I ever wanted was to be a gangster." I don't. He. I don't think he says that in the Japanese. I, I wouldn't expect him to. It's a very English dub kind of thing to happen, isn't it? No, because he, like he, he's just like part of a normal family as a kid, and he has no idea that there's a world of demons. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I'll. Um, I need to catch up on it so I don't get. But at least in the uh, English version, he achieves his dream. <laughs> <laughs> All I ever wanted to do was be a demon slayer. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but yeah, man. I mean, like, who the fuck says that? <laughs> I don't know. Like, give, like, give, given a choice, I'd, I would rather not fight demons. It seems like a very dangerous craft. Yeah, mm. like, I'd, yeah, given a choice, I would really would not fight, have to fight demons and get killed by demons. <laughs> I don't know about you. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not prone to fighting demons or like being in i mean i mean like it's, it's totally different from like um my hero academia like of course you want to be a hero yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> that's like that's like cool as fuck but fighting demons like nah also because in my hero academia like uh to be to be a hero it's like our equivalent of a celebrity is a thing where True. people in that universe there is no there is no one who just like enjoys the arts everybody's either a hero or just not, uh, just a not as good hero, basically. <laughs> yeah, you're either a hero or you're like, it's like nothing. Being a hero in that society basically determines. It's like a caste system. If if I if there's anything to to compare it to, it's like a caste system. And the stronger your pack, I mean, the higher up in society. It very, it very much is. And <laughs> some one of the later arcs kind of kind of addresses that actually. Because yeah, I remember somebody. Now, now you mention it because basically, there's a, like there's like laws on quirks, and there's a specific fraction of um, basically quirk users hmm. who are saying no, this is wrong. Quirks are part of what human like human beings are. Yeah. You should be able to use yours, not being um, basically under the oppression of the law, and hmm. yeah, going against kind of the hero based society. So it's weird you touch on that, but yeah, it does get covered. Hmm. Because somebody, I read somebody putting it online. They were saying like, what what ends up happening in in my academia? Because obviously, I've not watched, I've not read the manga. I've only watched the anime. And they're saying that what ends up happening is um, the the society is moving towards like the defund the police idea, but Midoriya really wants to be a cop. <laughs> in many ways, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, like without a doubt, yeah. I mean, it makes him less. It kind of, kind of, it, it kind of goes in that direction. With, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm interested to see where they go within the anime. But yeah. yeah, I mean, because I, I, I feel like this will very much be covered in the coming season, actually. Oh, okay. So it's not too far behind? But, no, not really too much, actually, no. Because um, the latest season is definitely going to cover the arc where the kids basically fight each other again oh. as part of their school training. Oh. Classes one A, classes one A and one B are going to have like a head to head, head to head matchup, hmm. and then um, following that is basically the um, people's liberation army, or what the fuck they're called. Oh. I think that arc follows actually. Oh, okay, cool. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be interesting. It's always yeah. more interesting when they go into like the deeper issues of the society <laughs> as opposed to just pretending that everything is always like peachy, hunky dory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 100%. I mean, like that's what really made the. Um, the uh what was it called the arc with lemillion and the boss overhaul oh, is what made that arc so interesting yeah 
the overall arc was the best to be honest like i think that's the best um my hero academia has gotten if i'm like i, really, I, I would really mean, very much agree with you yeah that's the, the fact that remember last time when we were talking about my hero academia we were saying like we could immediately say the overhaul arc but i couldn't remember what the villain was that followed it we just kept calling it the school dance arc because we didn't remember the guy's name so that guy's name i know his name's gentle the hero like the something villain the, yeah it's like they just called him gentle i think yeah in la blah, blah, blah. But like you, like I do feel so bad for that guy. Like his story was so sad. Yeah, but then all of them follow very similar sort of personality type, which is, oh my my quirk was made fun of, or my quirk was seen as not good enough. Mm. <laughs> um, whereas like overhauls was just fucking disturbing, and that was what made it so interesting. <laughs> I mean, yeah, very much so. God, that was terrible. Like him as a character was like fantastically dark. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the abuse of Aerie was terrifying to see, and god damn it, he needed to be taken down so badly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a good arc. Um, another, what else have been anime wise? Uh, Jujutsu Kaisen has come back after the uh, winter break, mm-hmm. and some things have happened, and it is adorably funny. I gotta say, I really love the series. So, is that the. Um, I'm sure. That the one that you started recently? Yeah, that's the one I... That was part of the full season that I started recently. Um, Mm. Ended up reading the manga because things were taking too long. (laughs) And I am now up to date. Impatient. Is that how it works? Yes. Yeah, very much so. I I watch a series. The series finishes. And I've got to wait for the next season. But (laughs) I'm like, God damn it, I need to find out what happens to like these people and their friends <laughs> I become like so I get so emotionally invested and like, like I get so strong up into the story I am just reading like 160 pages chapters of manga <laughs> oh my god that's a lot yeah. <laughs> yeah it really is I mean it's like the so I ended up watching the 1990s version of the Dragon Quest Adventure of Die yeah. um, series and unfortunately, that finishes off um, half, like a third of the way through the manga. Oh, they never just pick it up again. Okay, was it? Did it not do well? Yeah. Is that what I'm assuming? I'm not. I am not too sure because apparently it's one of the best-selling mangas. Oh, but I think it basically caught up, the anime caught up to the manga, I believe, hmm. and then the anime just kind of like left it at like basically at kind of a cliffhanger. No, that's annoying. And the the manga finished, I think, in like early two thousands, maybe late nineteen nineties. Okay. But suddenly they announced that they were. I mean, like it's so well received that they actually included Die the hero mm. as one of the main characters in the Jump Force game. Oh wow! Yeah, and they recently actually started to read. I'm not. I've, I've basically told you this before, but they've actually redid the. Um, they've basically rebooted the manga. So they rebooted the anime. Sorry. I was about to say, so the reboot of the Dragon Quest anime, is that following the same story? Or is it... It's stri- it's basically manga? strictly following the manga. Oh, and like the full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood of the Dragon Quest. Yeah, Dragon so it's Quest basically... It's, it's, I mean, it's essentially doing what Hunter Hunter did. Which, um, yeah, but, um, yeah, but Hunter Hunter kind of like left the job and finished again because the manga kind of slowed to a crawling, crawling pace. When did that manga... Yeah, so Hunter Hunter is still ongoing. 
um but the but the guy that does it is like facing like health issues he's like so overworked and stressed that he's kind of releasing things at his own pace because let's face it you've got to look up you've got to look after your health in that industry because that's the reason why he gave up on Yu Yu Hakusho, isn't it? Because like he he just wanted it to end. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, because he was a yeah. bit overworked and he wanted to. So that's why the final arc of Yu Yu Hakusho is like massively rushed. When you can kind of feel it, yeah. the way everything wraps up. Because what they like build up to this war between um, the three kings and that Yusuke, Hiei, and uh, Karama are like on three different mm-hmm. sides, and then all of a sudden, like they, there's literally no conflict in that arc. In that arc, because no. they. They're all just on the yep. same team throughout the whole thing. Uh, fair enough. From what know. I've read, from what from what I've read, like the manga industry is quite toxic. Yeah. Um, like when you read a chapter, when you when you actually download a volume of manga, mm-hmm. the 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 mangaka, the guy that's writing or guy or girl that's writing it, they normally put like a few personal notes at the end of it, and yeah. a lot of them have the recurring theme of. God damn it, I'm so stressed out. God damn it, I'm so overworked. God damn it, I've got so much to do. And it really paints a horrifying picture of what the industry actually is, I've got to say. Yeah, that doesn't fill me with, like, uh, that doesn't make it easier to read them, does it? <laughs> no, and a lot of the time, I, I, I think the fans kind of contribute to, like, the fans are very demanding, I'll put it that way. I can imagine, I can imagine. Because the fans I mean, I'm, I'm, don't get a satisfying resolution. A lot of people like resort to bullshit death threats and shit if they, yeah, they don't yeah. get what they want. I, I'm I'm very much up the camp now. Like you've got to look after yourself at the end of the day. Yeah. And like, yes, I might be starving to see what happens next, but I'd rather you not die. <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather you not die, and then yeah, I'd yeah. rather you not kill yourself over it. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. Uh, it's like it would just poison the well of what you've created, essentially. Yeah. And put, put it this way, you don't want what you're creating. You don't want to hate what you're creating at the end of the day, do you? No, because that will reflect in the art. Exactly. And you don't want what you're working on, your, your, your life's work in many cases, to be something that you start to resent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. And on that heavy note, I think that wraps up my anime roundup. <laughs> um, Rick's anime roundup is like <laughs> we should have like a really, really, really happy theme song to go afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's like and that's Am Rick's anime roundup. <laughs> oh man, yeah. and you're just like, but... don't kill yourself because of your work. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, but again, that kind of follows into many other industries. Yeah, um, it's generally speaking, I mean, like most creative industries have that toxic um, work work life balance. Culture. Yeah, culture, yeah. which is sad because we're like where we're literally doing entire podcasts episodes about people about about the work that people slave over and have to have to push themselves to the fucking edge. I mean, you saw how much we've talked about Last of Us too, and like you you're hearing about what the developers how how much crunch they had to do to get that out, and it's like mm. I don't know, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel worth it sometimes for what the end product is, especially when we're then saying oh well, why didn't you just make it shorter? It's like <laughs> you've kind of all you've done is harm. Yeah, true. In terms of I like, mean, at the top planning, all you've done is harm because you've made the game too long. And you've overworked these people to the point where I'm sure people have quit the games industry because of how badly they're treated. Mm. Yeah. 
I mean, sometimes it's it, it's like a double-edged sword because sometimes when something's so well-received, it creates such a huge demand for it. Yeah. And that really kind of drives this kind of, well, this industry further. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's everything creative, isn't it? It's like if you... So a lot of the time with gaming, the the deadlines will be based around like it coinciding with the release of something else. Like for example, this uh, Last of Us 2, obviously they wanted to get it out before, like a couple of months before the PS5 actually came out. Hmm. And like, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I just, I don't necessarily think it's the best way to go about your life. Even if you're creating something great, I don't know. Like, is it worth the amount of time you're probably taking away from yourself in the long run? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, at the end of the day, like, content creators, they've got to put food on the table. Yeah, absolutely. No, they do. They, they've, they've got to produce results to get paid, don't they? Which is a sad indictment of the world we live in. But, uh, yeah, man. <laughs> should we should we go on to the, the final part of our show, which is like the unofficial catch-up kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, by all means. Let's do it. Have you, uh, have you been... Besides anime and stuff, like have you been playing anything recently? Uh, so I um, yes okay yep 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 yep. So I did start playing uh, Legend of Zelda: Link Between Worlds on the 3DS months and months ago. Yeah. Um, I kind of left it at the penultimate uh, dungeon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually just thought to myself, you know what, fuck it, just let's finish this game and get it done with. Yeah. So yeah, I finished it, and I've got to say, it's a fun, uh, Link Between Worlds is a fun game, I've got to say, I did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I'm, I'm just got a nasty habit of uh, neglecting things, <laughs> particularly particularly games when on their penultimate areas. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I enjoyed it, it's whimsical, it's fun, it's a treat to look at, the side quests were a little bit lacking, lacking but all in all, a fantastic top-down Legend of Zelda. How would you compare that to the Link's Awakening remake? Um, I'd say just as good. Um, totally different kind of art style, of course, but many of the Legend of Zelda games do have quite um, varying different art styles. Hmm. But on the whole, super enjoyable, and I would definitely recommend it. I have played Link Between Worlds, but I only ever got... So I have this really nasty habit when it comes to top-down Zelda, where... Um, and the only exception to this is, funnily enough, Link's Awakening, because I was borrowing it from you, so I knew I only had a specific amount of time with it. Um, but what I often do is I'll get halfway through the game and then give up. Or just, I, I'll give, I'll get halfway through the game and then I just never pick it up again for some reason. So even now, I've got a half-played file of Link to the Past on my Switch and a half-played file of Link Between Worlds on the 3DS, and I've just never... I just don't pick up very well. Legend of Zelda is one of those series that you need to kind of like dedicate time to if you want to play through a game. And the problem is that I'm constantly looking for things to play which are quick, easy pickups and put downs again. And with Zelda, you often have to like allocate entire hours to um, to doing a dungeon, right? Yeah, that's very much the case with the series. Yeah. And I the last time I the last like full. Zelda game I beat um, before, besides Link's Awakening, was uh, Ocarina of Time. And even then, it was like every time I was playing it, it was an hour of dungeon, and then you do all the side shit, an hour of dungeon, do the side shit. Whereas um, 
I don't know. I think with uh, Link Between Worlds and Link to the Past, I got halfway through and went, oh, okay, cool. I'll get back to this later. And the problem is you can't leave a game like that for too long without coming back and being a bit clueless. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like I did give it a several month break between games, the penultimate dungeon and actually polishing the game off. <laughs> so I do I understand what you mean on that kind of aspect, yeah. It's like, that's why I'm... Uh, I'm so hesitant to start Twilight Princess at any time because I know it's the longest one, right? Besides Skyward Sword, which I'm not going to bother with. Um, so I feel like it's a, it's enough of a commitment that I need to know that I'm going to be able to play it every day for like um, like a month at least. Hey, <laughs> uh, I'd still re- I still recommend it. I know you probably won't play it, but I still recommend it. That's so yeah. It's often a lot of people's favorite, isn't it? Well, I really like yeah. Ocarina of Time, so I'm probably really going to like it too. It's just yet again the yeah. time commitment is um, the time commitment. It's just me like knowing I'm going to sit there and play it uh, over a period of time. Whereas, like you saw me, I, I beat Bloodstained in like more or less a weekend. <laughs> so, that's, that's quite impressive. Well, so I actually, so I got to the point with Bloodstained. Um, so I, I, I basically did everything. I got 100% map completion. I beat all the super bosses. Um, I got to the point in Bloodstained where, um, in like the core game, <laughs> where I became a fucking force of nature. I had the Crusagrum, like the, the windsword. So I worked it out. So the Crusagrum, the thing about the, the reason why it's such an overpowered sword is because every time you press the attack button, it does eight slashes and and it attacks as many times as you can press the button. It's not like That's a... That's incredible. Do, doesn't that leave you open to, if you're locked in to do eight moves, does that not um, backfire? No, because it's not the 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 slashes don't like you don't see them they just mm-hmm. happen that quickly the best nice. the best way i can describe it the crusagrum is like a walking blender that that's the best mm-hmm. <laughs> the crusagrum is like a walking blender and anything that gets in your way just gets like <laughs> just gets sucked into the vortex and scrunched up and dies essentially is the best way to put it so you don't see the eight slashes it just accounts for eight slashes but it does it so quickly that you, um, you, yeah, you just, and the thing is, it does eight every single time you press the attack button and you can just mash the attack button and it'll just constantly keep doing eight. So by the end, I was doing about 50 damage per hit. So every time I press the attack button, I was doing 400 damage. <laughs> and obviously you can, it's the only sword you can mash the attack button. There's no wind up. So oh, that's, in, that's incredible. So, so broken, but wow. So broken, I got to one of the super bosses. His name was a carpenter, and you need like a special key to fight him. I beat him in five seconds. <laughs> oh, that poor man. I beat him in five seconds. He didn't even get to like any of his, uh, the later phases of his attacks because I beat him that quickly. And I even beat so, him. Uh, <laughs> so I'm assuming this super broken sword is very difficult to get. Yeah, it's very difficult. You have to meld it. Um, and one the only one of the ingredients that you get for, for melding it is, um, first of all, you have to go to like the final area of the game to get a key so that you can go fight one of the super bosses. Then that super boss is a slot machine and you have to... So the slot machine is there because it's like um, a lot of the stuff in Bloodstained is a reference to Castlevania and the mm-hmm. slot machine is there because it's a reference to Konami giving up on the games industry and focusing only on pachinko machines. So, so you're there beating the shit out of a pachinko machine so as like a fuck you to Konami because of Iga, uh, Igarashi. Um, mm. and, and, and 
essentially the the boss is a slot machine and in order to get this um to get this item you have to hit the the lever and get triple sevens and i don't know what the what the odds are on you getting triple sevens but basically as soon as you get triple sevens it explodes you get like a fuck ton of money and it gives you the item you need to meld alongside like three other rare things to that then is brilliant them. i love the design and thought process going into that yeah and the fact that i know off the top of my head now shows how much like time and um, how prepared i had to be <laughs> but the game the what's the beauty of these sorts of games um with like metroidvanias um or castlevania rather is if you if you stat dump in your um in your luck stat then most of it will go your way everything just That's goes quite helpful yeah, it, it's really helpful. So by the end, like, I was focusing mostly on luck throughout my playthrough so that I kept getting all the rare drops throughout the game so that I didn't have to do any grinding because I was just getting drops, like, with everything I killed. And it meant I could cook all the food, and it meant I could, like, do... So I cooked all the food, and I I, I did, like, most of the side quests, and um, I beat all the super bosses, and I'm like, yeah, man, I had, like, a very satisfying playthrough of Bloodstained. I... There's uh you get different familiars in the game. Um mm. one's a, a fucking sword that just follow it's a floating sword that follows you and it's really angry and it's so funny because it, it's like it's sometimes I'm, like, I'm picturing like the angry son from Mario. It's kind of like that, but it just goes Rah! and it just shouts constantly. You're just like, bro, chill out. Like shut the fuck. That was in my ear. What's wrong with you? And <laughs> <laughs> and he just shouts constantly but he does some damage and then you get like a fairy which is similar to the fairy it's called the Carabos, but it's similar to the fairy in symphony of the night um where basically it heals you if you're da- if you're low on health and it, it does attack the enemy but it also gives you like fairy potions and stuff um but my favorite which i ended up using throughout the end game is are the duller hammerheads Mm-hmm. So the Dollar Hammer is the equivalent of the flying Medusa heads, which are in which are in Symphony of the Night. And basically, in Symphony of the Night, if a Medusa head touches you, you get petrified, you turn to stone, and you go f- fucking falling. If you're in midair, you just fall all the way down, and it's mm-hmm. really annoying. Um, what the Dollar Hammer heads do is, um, you, when when you have it as your familiar, it like just it just keeps um, homing in on the enemy. Like just oh, repeatedly just cool. goes and attacks the enemy. And if you rank it up enough, you can have five of them follow you at all times. So you're you're walking around with like this just this, this gang of Dulla Dulla Hammerheads. I kept calling them the Dulla Dulla Boys. And basically, and basically you're walking around, there's force of nature, and the Dullas are just like going around and automatically attacking all and everything that comes into your path. And it's hilarious. That is, that, is, that, that is brutal. It's so funny because they're doing like 10 damage per hit, but constantly each of them getting a hit in. And it's like, um, and then like the, the thing I was wearing had Miriam had like um, glowing eyes. So she must have looked so terrifying because she was walking around with glowing eyes and this gang of floating heads around her. <laughs> but man, I was I was so happy with that bloodstained playthrough. I was like, yo, this is fantastic. I, I didn't even die. I died once towards the end because I was being stupid. Because um, <laughs> I thought I'd give the whip a try and I was really bad with it and I didn't have timing. So I gave it, I was like, well, fuck this. I'm going back to the sword. Um but that's the beauty of Bloodstained is that you, or, or Castlevania in general, is that these games are so replayable because you get such a variety of weapons. Like um, you can do a sword playthrough, uh, a whip playthrough, a great sword playthrough, a gun playthrough of all things. 
um, or just karate. You can, you, it's, it's viable to do a karate run where you just go around kicking the shit out of things and punching shit. That's kind of cool. I really do appreciate that kind of variability in what you can use. Exactly. It's, it makes the games very replayable. Like you, you, you have like options to do challenge runs and stuff. So yeah, again, we were talking loads about Bloodstained last week. I beat it at the weekend and I'm like, yo, I love this game. The Train of Ambivalence. So anyway, I think, um, I think that's a good place to leave it. I mean, we don't have much else to catch up on from last week, but um, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been, it's been great five weeks in a row. Um, thanks. Thanks again, Amrik, for, for, for showing up. <laughs> <laughs> These incredible. I, I said, I said, I set the ball, I've got to say, <laughs> but uh, thanks for having me again. It's been another fantastic little podcast we've had, I think, and a big thank you out there for Thomas well for making that kick-ass theme for us. Thank you a lot to Thomas for our theme. Thank you in advance for the future themes in Amrix Anime Podcast and blah blah blah. And um, thank you for you know for for Soul for being a movie that we could watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Man. Thank you for being a masterpiece. Thank you for being a masterpiece. We don't know what we're going to be doing next week in terms of topics, but we will we will probably say what we're doing on Twitter. If not, we will just surprise you with it when the episode actually comes. Yeah, we'll probably just end up pulling something out of our asses like we normally do. Exactly. But yeah, today was a long one, but it was a fun one. So have a great oh, without a doubt. Have a great uh, weekend, everybody. Have a good have a good week ahead, and take care. Yeah, happy weekend, guys, and I hope you catch you guys again on the next week. See you later.